Welcome to Revolution Podcast, a place where we discuss the Bible, culture, faith, and why it matters for you. I'm Quinn, and this is my co-host, Chase. And if you're looking for a podcast that explores the revolutionizing power of Christ in your life, then this is the show for you. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Welcome back to Revolution Podcast. We're off to a strong start. Quinn is laughing already. Quinn, why are you laughing? I This is a Christian podcast. Okay, we're not going to say. Anyways, moving on. Quinn, guess what happened earlier today? What happened? I finished reading Harry Potter for the first time in my life. Wow. And no longer will I be the same. Yeah, I mean, fair yeah. enough. It's Harry Potter. It was Did incredible. you like it? I loved the ending. I loved it. It was so, the last 150 pages was like a whirlwind. Almost everything got tied together. Not everything. No spoilers because I don't want to be that guy. Fair. Um, but, oh, it was very good. I, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad I read it when I'm like this old and not when I was younger. Like I probably would have enjoyed them when I was younger, but like getting to read the whole series um, at my age, reading all the things that I've read, it's like, oh, this is actually quite good. And you've done a very good job. I liked it. That's good. Yeah. I read them when I was in grade six. And right. that, that was, I was probably Did you young. read all of them when you were in grade six? Oh no, I think I started in like grade four yeah. and then I was like, I'm too young for this. Right. And I didn't understand it. Yeah. And then I remember reading them in grade like six, seven or something. You read like that. all, was it scary like back then? Like it, it's a little bit intense in some parts. I don't remember. You okay. know what? Actually, my dad had to, um, we would, the rule was had to read the book, then watch the movie. Right. And I read, right. I read the second book so fast that I was like, dad, I don't remember this happening. And he's like, did you read the book? <laughs> I was like, I think so. Awesome. This this happened in the video game. So you, there's a Harry Potter. Oh, of course, there's a Harry Potter video mm-hmm. game. I don't know very much. I'm very new to this Harry Potter thing. I know some people are crazy about it. I don't think I will be crazy about it. The books were good. I enjoyed them. I'll probably reread them with my kids one day, and that'll be that. I'll watch the movies at some point. Yeah. Um, but I'm not gonna like. I don't know what house I'm in. Do you know what house you're in? Oh yeah, I do. Can I, I guess? Yeah, take a guess. Hufflepuff. Wow. No, that's not a that's not a bad thing. Cedric was in Hufflepuff. Cedric's awesome. Yeah, that's true. Right, Gryffindor. Uh, I actually got to choose. You, what? Why did you get to, the Sorting Hat chooses, dude? Why did you get to choose? Harry got to choose. That's actually such a good point. What did you choose? Gryffindor. <laughs> basic. I I'm calling basic. What? I don't know. Who do you think you are? I don't know. I feel like I could be any of them. I mean, who do you think I am? You could be Gryffindor. You could also very much be Slytherin. I th- I don't know. I think I don't think I'd be a half bad and slithery boy. <laughs> I just I don't know. And it, we okay, we're talking about Harry Potter a lot. Hold on, we need to refocus here. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um okay, Quinn, today we have got uh we're finishing off our apologetic series. What right. topics have we covered so far? Oh man, let me take a look at my notes. Just Ding. kidding. Um no, we have looked at how do we know that God exists? Right. Uh we have looked at how does a good God allow suffering? Mm. Um, deep questions yeah some some big ones and yeah. now we're looking at uh can we trust the bible mm, yeah. um how do we know the bible is the word of god yeah it's an audacious claim yeah, yeah i mean a lot of people would say that the bible isn't the word of yeah, god it's just a book a good book mm-hmm. um that's why it's called the good book but a book what's different about the bible from buddhist texts or the quran or you know any other holy text what's different about the bible in the book of mormon why can't they but like what's you know Anybody can claim they got revelation from God. What's different about the Bible? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why isn't it just a good book with some good stuff written in it? And some people would say some bad stuff written in it too, but mostly good stuff maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a good question. Um, nice. Okay. Uh, do we want to just like kind of jump into it? 
Yeah, I guess so. Cool. Uh, so why, Quinn, can I ask you, why does this question about the Bible matter? Why does it matter? Like, like why would we actually investigate, is the Bible the word of God? Yeah. Um, man. I mean, well, we investigate it because people dispute the Bible. True. Um, yeah. I think we also want to in- investigate why this matters because um, a lot of our beliefs hinge on the resurrection of Jesus. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Um, and so this matters. We need to look at the resurrection and Jesus, sure. who he was as a care- as a person, yeah. um, was he God? And if we can look at that, then we can see if uh, the Bible is true. Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Like sometimes people can just take for granted the Bible is the word of God, right? Like if you grew up in church, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, it's the Bible. Um, but like, why, like, why do you actually believe that? It's just a question I like to ask people. I play devil's advocate, you know, like press people. Like, like, why would you believe the Bible? Um, and this, so this is something, and this is part of why I wanted to do this episode with us yeah. is because, um, I heard, first heard this from John MacArthur, um, and then Wayne Grudem, who are both like really big Bible guys, right? Like they love the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, um, argument they both made. Um, as far as I know, they they could have. Uh, they, I'm sure they know more than this, but this is the argument I heard them made: um, is that the Bible's the word of God because the Bible says it's the word of God, and we can believe that what the Bible says because it's the word of God. And I, remember, like I just remember listening to, <laughs> to John, John, good old Johnny Mac, and I was like, <laughs> "Hold up, <laughs> hold up, John Sturt. Listen, if I wrote on a piece of paper, this is the word of God." D- that that's just like what are we doing here like i saw quinn start you guys can't see quinn started doing a like a loop with his finger like making a circle yeah it's a circular argument the bible is the word of god because it says it's the word of god and we can believe it because it's the word of god it's like 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 technically you're right like that is true yeah um but how does that (laughs) how on earth does that help anybody who's seriously asking this question and doubting that right it's like well i don't the reason I'm asking this is because I don't believe it. So why would I believe what it says about itself? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Also, the Bible, it, okay, I want to be careful with this because I, you know, I don't mean what I'm saying in a sense, but like the Bible <laughs> isn't our ultimate authority, right? It, like, Unpack that. I, I will. I will. Okay. This And this this will help us get right into some of the arguments we want to make. Okay. Um, and so I, there's this little statement and it's not. Uh, I'll just say it and then we can unpack it. Um, I believe in the Bible because the apostles who wrote it. I believe in the apostles who wrote it because of the Christ who sent them. And I believe in the Christ who sent them because of the God who sent him. Okay, we'll pause there. Um, first of all, it isn't a perfect little thing because obviously more than just the apostles wrote the Bible. Right. Um, even just in the Gospels, Luke and Mark um, both had a piece in there. Um, the author of Hebrews, I'm not sure who that was in the whole Testament. But, but the idea is that we believe in the Bible because God gave people authority to write it. We believe in the authority of those people, and especially and specifically the apostles, because Jesus Christ sent them out and commissioned them to write it. Yeah. And we believe Jesus Christ is God because we believe in a God, right? So, so when I, so when I say the Bible isn't our ultimate authority, it's very technical, but it, it flows because our first authority is God, right? And that's why we started off this apologetic series asking, uh, series, sorry, asking, um, how do we know God exists? Because Mm -hmm. it's from that belief in God that all of this can stem, right? 
And so, um, and so then the flow is, okay, we believe God exists. And then we come to this Jewish man who appeared in the first century, um, who came from a little backwater town in Palestine, uh, who was a carpenter who suddenly started claiming he was God. Um, so then we need to decide, is that true or not? Um, and then if it is true, and he commissioned people to write his very own words, and he sent himself uh, as the Holy Spirit to guide and inspire them, then we can believe their words. So it starts um, from this position of believing in a God, and then is this man who's claiming to be God, is he actually God? And then we can believe uh, the words of the Bible. Um, so I don't I don't mean to say the Bible isn't the ultimate authority in our lives. It is because it's God written God's written revelation to us. But what are the reasons we believe it's God's written revelation to us? Okay. And so following that train of thought, uh, we believe in God. Now the big thing, and I think that's what we want to focus on here, Quinn, is um, do we believe Jesus was God? Because if Jesus is God, here's a few things about Jesus. Jesus believed that the Old Testament canon was the Word of God. Yeah. Um, how do we know that? Because Jesus was a Jew. He was um, a rabbi in a sense, um, and he never disputed any of the, the other rabbis on the canon of the Old Testament. And the canon of the Old Testament was settled. Uh, when I say canon, I mean a list of authoritative books in the Bible. So the all the Old Testament, um, by the time Jesus arrives on the scene um, on earth, don't, yeah, on earth, Jesus arrives on the scene, um, the entire Jewish community was sure that the, that all our Old Testament books, they knew those were the word of God. And Jesus never argued with them about that. Yep. That would have come up, right, in the Gospels. That would have been written down if Jesus debated them about that, because that's important. Yeah, and Jesus himself used the Old Testament. Exactly, right? Like, yeah. he would go in and sit with, I mean, he was tempted in the desert. Yeah. He used the words of the Old Testament against Satan. Exactly, right? And yeah, he was in the synagogues explaining stuff to uh, the other teachers. Um, even the Gospels constantly quote back to the Old Testament to prove, like they cite all these prophecies about Jesus and they cite the Psalms and Jesus references um, the Exodus and he references Moses and he references mm -hmm. Adam and Eve. Okay, clearly the Old Testament is accepted by these people. So if Jesus is God, the Old Testament, that's the word of God. What about the New Testament? Well, Jesus is the one who sent out his apostles. Jesus right. said, the spirit, yep. the spirit will come and he will remind you of these words I've said. Jesus appeared to Paul and um, commissioned him to go to the Gentiles and write to them. Jesus appeared to John to give him the revelation. So um, Jesus, if, if Jesus is God, the Old Testament is the word of God and the New Testament that we have is the word of God. But it all hinges on Jesus. Jesus, it is Jesus, God, right? Was the man, the this Jewish man named Jesus who claimed to be God, was he actually God? And so how do we, how can we decide that, right? Is it just like, as some people, is it just blind faith? You have to just have to choose to believe. Well, no, our faith has an object, right? Faith mm -hmm. isn't this wishy-washy mystical thing. It's like you believe in something because you have good reason to believe in it. Mm -hmm. And so I think Quinnan, you and I, just to kind of hedge the conversation and get to what we're going for here, uh, we would say Jesus's claim to divinity rests or falls on the resurrection. Yeah. If Jesus died and rose again and planned to do that, like there is no doubt in my mind that he was God. Mm -hmm. If Jesus died and stayed dead, there is no doubt in my mind that he was just a man, a gifted man, maybe a prophet, mm -hmm. But just a man. Yeah. But if if Jesus died and actually rose again and he claimed to be God, 
then there, that's not even a question. Of course he's God. And then we, fall, uh, then we fall on our knees at his feet and call him Lord, and we believe these words he's written. So um, the claim about the Bible rests on Jesus. And another quick word, just on the familiarity of the Bible as the word of God, if, the, if we can come to this point after we examine the evidence for the resurrection, if we can come to the point of believing that the Bible is the actual breathed out words of God, there's a heaviness to that, right? Like there's yeah. a weight. Like, like what would you say about like um, the power and effect the Bible should have on our lives if it actually is the very words of God? Like how should that affect our lives? It should make us do a full 180. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, if the Bible is true and we and we believe it, yeah. well, obviously, then we have to accept everything that's in the Bible. Exactly, everything. Um, we can't just take the parts that we like. Like, we can't just look at it and be like, oh, I don't like this part. I'm still going to hate my neighbor Yeah, kind of stuff. Right. But we need to take it all in truth and as the word of God. And if... Yeah. And when we do that, we need to um, accept God as authority over our life, mm. to trust him, to love him yeah. um, over everything else. Yeah, that's and so good. I mean, that's an easy statement to make on my end, yeah. but it's so hard to live out. Totally. Oh, yeah. Um, so I think this is a good place of like, okay, the Bible is the word of God and then we can go on from there. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> when you said it should make you do a 180 there, I almost corrected you and was like, you mean 360. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> then I realized what I was saying. I was like, no, he got it right, Chase, shut up. So, I thought about it too. You, I was like, you, should, you, you almost said 360? 360. I was like, no, no, 180, 180. I got it, degree, I got it. 180, okay. Anyways, <laughs> dumb, 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 dumb. Um, so mm -hmm. anyways, Totally. Um, man, let's dive into this. Uh, so we've kind of walked through the reasoning of why we want to focus on the resurrection, because it, if the resurrection is true, that proves Jesus's divinity because Jesus claimed to be God. There's no question about that. If yep. you want, go read the gospel of Mark when he's being questioned by the Sanhedrin, maybe. Anyways, a group of religious leaders, um, he's, he... They ask him about the claims he's making for himself. I'm not going to quote things directly. I'm sorry. I don't have it open in front of me. Um, but essentially, they... Uh, they um, uh, ask him, uh, like, what, like, what are these claims you're making about himself? And he says, you will see the son of man ascending on the clouds of heaven. Um, and so people will often say, well, Jesus didn't actually think he was God, right? Like Jesus never made that claim. That stuff people made up about him later. But you go to Mark, which was the earliest written gospel. And specifically this passion account was probably written within a few years of Jesus' death, mm -hmm. right? The rest of the gospels added later. Um, but that specific passion account was written um, before the year AD 37 and uh, Jesus died in AD 33. So within four years, mm -hmm. um, historically stuff doesn't spring up that quickly, right? So whatever yeah. was written, we can know it's uh, accurate. So, uh, but people will say, Jesus in the gospel of Mark, he never claimed to be God. Well, then you look at this statement of Jesus. He says, you will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven. What is he talking about? Son of man. Isn't that Jesus saying he's like, that's his human part. People will yep. often say Jesus called himself the son of man to show his humanity and the son of God to show his divinity. That's actually backwards. Um, David was called the son of God, right? The, the title son of God is used for a bunch of people in the Old Testament. Son of man, however, if you go to Daniel chapter, oh, I'm going to mess this up. It could be <laughs> off the top of my head, chapter seven, nine, or 12. Read the whole book of Daniel. Ha, huh. <laughs> shameless plug. <laughs> wow. Um, look at that. Getting you guys to read your Bibles. Anyways, in the book of Daniel, Daniel's having a vision and he sees Yahweh and the throne room of God. And then he says, I saw someone like a son of man 
ascending right. on the clouds. Yeah, he yeah. was seated at the right hand of the Almighty. And he was, and it says he was given worship and honor and praise. And that special word worship is actually a specific word in Hebrew that's used in the Old Testament only as worship for Yahweh. And there's one time, there's one time when that word worship, somebody gives that kind of worship to a human and God strikes him dead. Right? It's a special kind of worship that's only fit for God. And yet it says this son of man that Daniel's prophesying about is going to receive this worship. Clearly, the son of man is divine. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus comes along and he says that. He says, you will, you will see the son of man. You will see me ascending the clouds. And so he's making a reference and he's claiming that divinity for himself. Mm-hmm. And so, and, but, but what's really um, interesting about that is that the, the religious leaders around him recognize that claim, right? That's when they tear their robes. That's when they're like, we need to kill this guy. Because mm-hmm. it wasn't... Um, it wasn't punishable by death to claim to be the Messiah. Lots of people did that and they didn't get crucified, but it was punishable by death in Jewish culture to claim to be God. And so unless Jesus was claimed to be God, they would have no reason to try to kill him. And yet in that moment, he did. So even from the earliest gospel, and you see it much more clearly in the other ones as well, which expound on it, um, but Jesus claimed to be God. So there's no question that Jesus thought of himself as God. The only question is, was he crazy? Like, did he actually back up his claims? And I think that really hinges on the resurrection. Um, So one of the first things we want to highlight, I'll toss this over to you, Quinn, but we want to know, are the gospel accounts, which are our main accounts of Jesus's um, uh, life, ministry, death, resurrection, and what happened a little bit afterwards. How, like, these were written 2,000 years ago. Like, you know, how, when I pick up my Bible, how do I know I'm even, re- I'm even reading what um, those people wrote? Um, how, how has that been um, preserved for us? Why should we even believe that? Let, like, leaving it alone uh, the idea of the Word of God, are these things even historically reliable? Can I use them um, to support claims of Jesus's resurrection. Right. Yeah. And you can toss that back to me anytime and we can go back and forth on that. Yeah. Uh, can I toss it back to you right now? Yeah, away? no, I'll lead it off and then you can jump in. I'll, <laughs> okay. I'll get us going yeah, yeah. on that. Um, let, let's deal with first the idea of do we, when we open our Bibles to the gospels, are we reading what those people wrote? I was right. about to say those apostles, but I mean, Matthew and um, John were both apostles, but Luke and Mark weren't. Um, maybe that cast doubts for you, but Luke was a traveling companion to Paul. So he would have uh, heard the gospel preached by Paul and Luke uh, interviewed many people. He was actually very, um, what'd you say, nitpicky with his details. So yeah, he was quite precise. a good, quite a, quite a good historian. And Mark was a companion of Peter, who is an eyewitness to many things. And so we can, um, Peter and Paul both um, authenticated and supported uh, these gospels that these men wrote. And so they had apostolic authority behind them, even if they weren't directly written by apostles. Um, but how can we know that these things we read in our Bibles are actually what these guys wrote way back when? Uh, so what's really, really interesting is that, uh, oh, how do you even go into this briefly? There's so much to say. Um, so in classical history, uh, let, let's take the history of Rome, for example. Okay. We, all, we all learn about Rome in the classroom. We hear all these facts about ancient Rome, right? And what's nice is that those are written around the same time as the gospel. So it's a pretty good comparison. Uh, they're written by Tacitus, uh, the annals of Rome or annals of history of Rome or whatever. Um, and there's a, a process um, historians will go through where they examine, because there's something called manuscripts, which was what these people originally wrote, like yeah. what Mark actually wrote on, that'd be the manuscript or the autograph. And then what people would do is that because they were writing on stuff that wasn't um, 
so good at being preserved, they would make copies of it. And mm-hmm. then that would get pat you pass a copy on, then that copy would get made and you pass it on and so on and so forth. Um, the problem is that as you do that, um, some errors and typos and mistakes and word switching can come into those copies. Uh, you, if you try to write the whole Bible by hand, you're going to have a few mistakes in it. Um, and so the idea is that down over hundreds, maybe thousands of years, those mistakes get larger and larger and larger until what you have isn't recognizable from what was originally written. Um, the the copies we have for the annals of Rome, f- from which we get almost all of our history of Rome, and we believe it, right? Like nobody questions it. Yeah. Um, the earliest copy we have, I think, is from a few centuries after those were originally written. So hundreds of okay. years, hundreds of years is our earliest copy. Um, and there's I, very few copies, I think six or seven, I might be off on that, but it's no more than 20 copies um, that we have. Um, and it's not even the complete histories. It's most of it, but not everything this guy Tacitus wrote. And yet nobody questions it, right? Nobody, and why should we? That That is, as far as... Um, uh, preserving manuscripts, that is a very good track record. Um, solid copies um, within a few hundred years of when it was originally written. We got several copies to verify each other. Um, and what you do is that you compare um, these copies that you have. You look for the stuff that ha- that they have in common, and then you look for the stuff where they diverge. And you say, well, where they diverge, that's probably mistakes, but what they have in common was originally written. And then you can recreate the original that way. Um, and so we, we, we don't question the history of Rome that way. You look at the Gospels, the earliest copy we have is within like 80 years of the Gospel being written. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't have like no more than 20 copies. Um, I think between the Greek copies we have, the Latin copies we have, um, I know Greek, like Greek, because that's what they were written. And let's just go with the Greek. We have 5,600 copies. Not 20, not 24, 5,600. I think the closest comparison is um, the Odyssey written by Homer. It's an epic poem. Um, That's the second most well-attested manuscript trail in antiquity. And I think it doesn't even come close. It is less, I think less than 200 um, copies. The the Bible has 5,600 Greek copies of the manuscripts. Mm -hmm. That's insane. There's no other book that has been so well-preserved. Adding in the Latin, um, the German, some other copies, you have 24,000 copies of the Bible. And then you take in the early church fathers, people who lived like a century or two centuries after uh, these gospels were written, and they quoted the gospels all the time. You could do away with the actual copies of the gospel we have and just take the quotes that these people have, and you could reconstruct basically the entire New Testament. So we have copies and quotes from all these different places, over 24,000 of them. There, there, there is no other book that has been so well-preserved. We, we know, just, like, we wouldn't even question the history of Rome, and yet people try to cast scrutiny on, like, how well the Bible's been preserved. It's not even a contest. It's yeah. nowhere close. If you want to, I'll say one more thing, I'll, then I'll toss it to you. If you want to throw out the Bible, you have to throw out everything else that's been written um, in, like, prior to the Bible as well. That's Homer, that's... Um, uh, Plato, that's Aristotle, that's Socrates, like all, all these great people that we all admire, um, like Euripides, um, all of classical literature, which is the cornerstone of our culture. You have to toss it out if you toss out the Bible as well. But mm-hmm. anyways. Yeah. And even the Bible, um, oh man. Yeah. I mean, you say how many copies there were. There was men who had, guys who had jobs, their whole entire purpose was to translate the Bible. Yeah. And if they got it wrong, 
they had to throw it all out. Yeah, and then you had to redo it again. And yeah. so everything had to be perfect, exact translation. Yeah. And yeah, and they would look through it multiple times. It wasn't just a, there wasn't a loose translation. Yeah. It yeah. was it was perfect. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, people, like, I mean, especially like in the Jewish context in which it happened, like the Jews have been preserving their scriptures faithfully for so long. You think they'd make it any different believing that these are also the words of God? They wouldn't. Like early Christians clearly believed the Bible, like the New Testament, I should say, was the word of God. And so especially the Jewish Christians would preserve that just as faithfully as their old scriptures. And like you said, like scribes, their entire job was to faithfully write down these things mm -hmm. as carefully as they could. No mistakes. Um, so anyways, I, I just think that like anybody claiming that what the Bible we have isn't the Bible that was written doesn't know anything about man, like how um, classical literature has been passed down to us. They don't know anything about the manuscript trail of the Bible. Because once you look into it, even like me and you aren't experts by any means. Nope. We're very, very like new looking into this, but it's just absolutely ridiculous how clear it becomes even just uh, like dipping your toe into the water there. So then I think the real question is not, um, do we have what the gospel writers wrote, but is what the gospel writers wrote reliable? Can mm -hmm. we actually trust the gospel accounts historically? Um, or are they just fabrications and legends? Like, yeah, this is what they wrote, but they just made it all up. How do we know what's actually real? Right. And so do, then we look at the at Jesus, right? Yeah, that and, Jesus is a big and, one, yeah. And we look at um, his death, um, his resurrection, then how he was seen afterwards. Yep. Is that kind of where we're wanting to go? Yeah, we'll go there. Uh, let's. I'll back up for just one minute. Yeah, yeah. Um, just to say, that, like a few, a few quick things. Uh, first, the Gospels were written uh, between the years eighty, forty, and ninety. Again, that little section of Mark a little bit earlier. Um, that's within the lives of eyewitnesses that the Gospels mentioned. Right. The Gospels mentioned many, many people by name. If what the Gospels said were factually incorrect any of those people could have come forward and been like that's wrong they could have spread that throughout the church very very easily but they didn't right so that's one thing um the second thing because is because because it was true because it was true right exactly uh the other thing is that the the gospel writers clearly intended to write accurate histories um do, do you want to actually grab your bible quinn there and open up to the beginning of the gospel of luke We'll give you a second. We'll give Quinn a second. Do you know that music that plays? I was on the phone with a bank earlier. You know that music that plays when you're on hold? Do, do, do. Nope. I, I was going to do that too, but that's Jeopardy. I, I was literally just about to go. Do, 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 yeah. do. All right. Gospel Luke. Um, let me just read the beginning here. Um, Inasmuch as many have, have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught you have certainty that isn't a claim by a guy who's about to make a bunch of stuff up clearly he's wanting to write down fact and truth to back up these wild claims that he's making right or claims that at least seem wild without the evidence to back it up mm -hmm. um 
And then, and then I, 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 and the reason I like highlighting Luke's gospel, especially, is that, like we said earlier, Luke paid such close attention to small historical details. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them have been doubted by um, historians and archaeologists. They're like, well, this is incorrect in Luke's gospel. And since then, archaeology has proven it true. And so it's like, if Luke was so careful in his small details and getting those right, why would he fabricate bigger things? Um, mm-hmm. There's a good here. Let me let me quickly uh, quote a um, historian here. He says, "One must listen to the claims of the document under analysis and not assume fraud or error unless the author disqualifies himself by contradictions or known factual inaccuracies." In other words, you believe some, you, like you know, innocent until proven guilty. You believe somebody until they give you reason not to believe them. Mm-hmm. So we shouldn't come at the gospels with, "Well, this is wrong," and I'm going to show you why. It's like, okay, let's take what they're saying. And if what they say is true, then we should believe them. And it's, if it's false, then we shouldn't. And we should be careful about that, right? And what's amazing is that the Gospels prove to be perfectly historically reliable and accurate, mm-hmm. which actually should incline us to believe the things they say rather than disbelieve them. Um, Yeah, uh, the, the last thing maybe is people will uh, talk about discrepancies and we'll get into some of the ones around the resurrection in a little bit. Yeah, but I'll yeah. just say that um, like, so when people are writing, like so we believe the Holy Spirit inspires scripture. We also believe man wrote scripture, right? Like yep. it, it is a both and um, you need to be careful about things like that. And so because it is humans writing scripture and you have four different accounts, so you need to allow for normal things when people write, like people paraphrase. Sometimes people abridge things. Sometimes people add in explanations. Um, sometimes people um, select um, different um, stories and others. Sometimes they omit certain details, not because those details details weren't true, but because they didn't want to put them in their account. If you allow for very normal human things like that, um, the contradictions that people will cite between the gospels kind of just fades away, right? Mm -hmm. Because these are different men. They have different way of phrasing things. They have different audiences they're writing to. Of course, their accounts are going to be, have these slight differences, not disagreements, Mm -hmm. sorry, not disagreements, but differences. Um, That's very like that's perfectly normal in fact if they were all identical like we talked about this quinn if they're all mm-hmm. identical you wouldn't believe them right if in court four witnesses took the stand and they all told the exact same story in the exact same words the judge would toss out that evidence in a minute because it's clear they got together beforehand and conspired and made yeah. it all up but if they are ha- telling different perspectives of the same event they're going to have some different details and some different emphases and different perspectives on things um, mm-hmm. and that is like that makes their accounts more reliable in fact yeah. Anything you want to add to that? No, I think yeah, I yeah, and we and we look at it. Um, we're we're gonna jump into that a bit later. Yeah. Um, with the resurrection because I think that's so important. Um, but yeah, what do we, what do we got next? Sweet. Okay, so just to recap where we've been, uh, we talked about like why we want to ask this question. Why does it matter? Like, why does it matter that the Bible is the word of God? Why do we actually need to investigate this? Uh, then we looked at how do we know that the words in the Bible we're reading today are the words that were written down. And we showed that like, and if you don't believe the Bible has been preserved well, you can't believe any book of antiquities preserved yeah. well. You got to toss it all out. Nobody would do that. Um, and then we have, then we asked the question, are the gospel accounts actually reliable? In fact, they're quite reliable. They're very well historically attested for. Um, the eyewitnesses who were alive at the time they are written could have disproved them at any time they wanted if they could have, but they couldn't because they were true. And uh, whatever slight discrepancies people 
people think they can come up with if you allow for the fact that these were humans, yes, inspired by God, but they were humans writing it and they had human writing tendencies, those discrepancies mainly fade away. So yes, the gospels, as far as we know, are historically reliable. So then we come to the issue of the resurrection because of Jesus, we've said he believed in God. That's sorry. That's another thing we touched on is that Jesus self-identified as God. He had this mm-hmm. identity of the divine. So Jesus believed it was God. Okay. So to prove if Jesus rose from the dead and he claimed to be God, there is no doubt that he is God. Mm-hmm. So how do we prove the resurrection? Uh, three things. Uh, you need to prove that Jesus died. You need to prove that his tomb was empty and you need to prove that he was seen after his death by people. Because if those three things are true, like come up with a hypothesis. I dare you. I dare you to come up with a hypothesis mm-hmm. that fix that sorry, that fits those three facts. There is none besides the fact that Jesus actually rose from the dead bodily. Um so we can go about proving those. Um, did Jesus die? Do you have anything? I, that's the easiest uh, one to prove by far. Do you want to touch on that for us? Though? Yeah. I mean, there's not a a crazy amount to say with that. Um, besides the fact that um, something to note is that Jesus, he grew up kind of in Roman empire. Yeah. Where they were uh, occupied by Rome. Yeah. And so, um, and Rome was known for having brutal murders oh my word yeah um and so some people like to say oh jesus didn't actually die he just faked his death on the cross or he he fainted and they thought he was dead it's like no and i'll get into that oh my word um (laughs) so fun because oh man i mean first of all people will say jesus sweat blood it's like that that didn't happen it's like no that's actually that's a medical thing that 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 is an observable fact yeah and it's a small fact, but it's actually like, yeah, I, I think it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, because well, um, it, it sounds made up, but then mm-hmm. you find out that it's true. Anyways. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, Jesus, you, you look at all the beatings he had before he went to the cross itself. Mm-hmm. I mean, first of all, he was spat on, he was um, made fun of, he was mocked, yeah. and then he had the lashings. And yeah. the whip wasn't just like some leather it had like bones on it yeah and everything and it would it would rip into his skin it would pull skin out it's very gross and horrifying yeah yeah um and then he had a crown of thorns pressed into him yeah and he was that was put on his head that is terrible they weren't like little raspberry thorns no they were huge thorns they would have pressed right into his skull he would have been dripping blood yeah and then he had to carry his cross yeah after he had been almost near death. Yeah. Uh, can I add, add in something there quickly? Yeah. Sometimes Roman prisoners who were being tortured by, it's called the cat and nine tails, the whip that Jesus was um, lashed with. Sometimes people would die just from that. Yes. Right? Like, like mm-hmm. that alone. Jesus didn't. Um, but anyways, and what's interesting with the cross, uh, he lost so much blood that we read in the gospel accounts. He, yeah. He collapsed and Joseph had to come in and help him, right? Mm-hmm. Anyways, continue. Yeah. Joseph. He's Joseph. I, somebody somebody I don't, do they name them i I could have sworn it was a guy named joseph but then like joseph buried him and joseph i, I get confused with all the Josephs. And then joseph and genesis right <laughs> totally probably was him <laughs> anyways continue i'll stop <laughs> all right we we digress we digress okay we are doctors people listen yeah. to us um and then so he's carrying his cross yeah. uh not even the whole thing. No. He carries it up and then he's just put on the cross and he's 
by his hands and feet he's nailed. He's not actually nailed in his hands. No. Because if he was, then he probably would have just. Yeah, into his wrists. Yeah, he was put into his wrists and that that would have hurt way more because there's a bone there. There's way more arteries and veins, everything. And then was it his ankles? Yeah, they would have like hoisted the cross up then and then um, put the nails through his, um, yeah, through his ankles as well. Um, Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, if if you actually think somebody could fake death on a cross, you don't know anything about Roman crucifixion. Yeah. Right. Because then you start, you you don't, like what kills you is suffocation, right? Because you can't, because you're, you're, um, your shoulders fall out of joint, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Which actually fulfills a prophecy in the Bible. Very interesting. Yeah. but yeah, you, your shoulders become dislocated. Um, and in order to breathe properly, you need to use that nail that's hammered into your feet and you need to press upwards in order to breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, and you slouch back down and you need to press upwards in order to breathe again. And basically what happens is that uh, you lose the strength to actually be able to do that and you suffocate to death because you just can't breathe. And it's a slow agonizing process. So not only painful, but yeah, it ends in death. Um, so what's interesting, so in the gospel accounts, uh, we, we hear later that the Roman soldiers broke the legs of the men next to Jesus. Why they do that? To speed up the death process because then they can't push up anymore, mm-hmm. right? Jesus dies before that um, and the Roman soldiers check him they believe he's dead, but just to make sure, they stab him right through the side <laughs> into his heart. Like, and well, this is the other thing. Roman soldiers, they would be the ones who died if any of their victims survived, yeah. right? That, that's the other thing. They were very, very strict. If any victim survived uh, execution, uh, the Roman soldiers are the ones who got punished. They would not let anybody escape alive from that. No yeah. way. That was on their heads. So these were professional murderers. Um, this was a proven way. Like, yeah, I mean, the crucifixion is just so horrifying. Like thinking that Jesus just fainted or pretended to die is like, absolutely, absolutely no way. But yeah. anyways, so did Sorry. Jesus die? Sorry if that was a little graphic. You know, dude, we could, you could get more graphic, right? Like just, it, it, it is it is a truly horrifying mm-hmm. way of dying. Um, so anyways, did Jesus die? Yes, that is without a doubt. Yeah. Um, so then the second question is, was his tomb empty? Yeah, a, a lot of people dispute that because if, if the tomb was empty, if the tomb wasn't empty, then... Um, That's very easy. His body's there. Yeah. <laughs> like, case closed, guys. Um, yeah. Do, do you want to go off on that a little bit? or No, no, no. I think I think you got that one. Yeah. Um, so the empty tomb, uh, the reason, yeah, like you said, Quinn, a lot of people will dispute it. Um, like, did he go to the wrong, did they go to the wrong tomb? Well, yeah, this is a thing, right? Um, yeah. So, so people, so yeah. (laughs) So the thing is it, the empty tomb is so well proven that you have to come up with alternate theories, right? Yeah. Um, because like from the, we know the gospels are historically reliable and they all account for the fact that the tomb is empty. Um, the earliest Jewish, um, histories that we have, like the Talmud, um, does not dispute that the tomb was empty. They just try to say that there's a different explanation for it, right? So you have to look at alternate theories. The problem is that all the alternate theories are dumb. Um, if you think about them for more than 10 seconds, is that harsh? Possibly. Um, I don't care. Um, <laughs> sorry, maybe that's ungracious. I don't know. You just just think, and I, I won't use words like that. Um, <laughs> Okay, maybe the disciples went to the wrong tomb and they, so, or, or the woman, I should say, the, his yeah. woman disciples, they went to the wrong tomb. Uh, then they went and told the apostles and they were like, the tomb is empty. Jesus rose again. And then the apostles go to the wrong tomb too, for some reason. Um, and they see that the body's gone and they're like, oh, this is amazing. And so then they go out and tell the whole world. And it's like, okay, do you think like, 
the Roman soldiers who were guarding the tomb wouldn't have just been like, hey guys, just so you know that like this is actually the correct tomb and Jesus' body is still in there. Or like the Jewish authorities who tried to destroy the church and were the ones who killed Jesus, um, who would have been, who would have like hated the growth of the church that happened. Don't you think they would have gone to the right tomb, gotten the body and held it up in front of everybody and be like, hey, just so you know, like, you guys we still got him. Tomb. Like, we still got him. Like, 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 it just, it holds absolutely no water, right? If mm-hmm. the disciples went to the wrong tomb, every, every uh, power and authority in place had the incentive to get the body and sh- like prove that it was still there, right? Th- there's just no question about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you might say, well, maybe the disciples uh, stole the body from the tomb. That's another popular theory. Um, few problems. First, uh, the soldiers in front of the tomb. Some people say there weren't soldiers because that doesn't make sense. It's not necessary, but I like I do believe that there were Roman soldiers in front of the tomb. Mm-hmm. Second, the stone in front of the tomb was not designed to be moved. It wasn't just like a like you can imagine like a flat plane and a cliff wall, and maybe the tomb was in front of that, and you just had to roll the stone to the side. No, that's not how his tomb was constructed. Uh, it was a ditch leading down words to the tomb a slope that the big stone is rolled down so it's very easy to put into place but impossible to get back up again i see right so the the idea that the that um some of the disciples could have moved that you know not super super likely mm-hmm. um especially not if it like as like as we read in the gospel accounts it was a group of women who was were the ones to first discover him not saying women aren't strong not what i mean i'm just saying like the idea of moving a giant rock much more likely for the guys to come up with something dumb like that. Okay, women are, okay. Women are too smart. Good thing you covered that yeah, one. That was good. You like how yeah. I recovered from I that? I wasn't hey? sure how you were going to come back good from that. Good job, Chase. All right. Um, but but also, if the disciples stole um, Jesus' body from the tomb, I mean, Quinn, there's that Babylon B video me and you were just yeah. watching, right? It's like, it's the dumbest idea in the world because the disciples suffered for their belief in the resurrection, right? Yeah. They were rejected by their world. They were rejected by their religious communities. They were rejected by their families in some cases. And they all, mo- or most, I should say, most of them died really gruesome deaths. Mm-hmm. Like they were persecuted for this belief. If they had stolen Jesus' body, knew that what they were saying was a lie, and they were just trying to start this religious movement, why would all of them die for that? Maybe one went a little, like maybe we could say one person snapped, maybe two people snapped and were willing to die for it. But 12 who all were in on this, oh, sorry, Judas, 11, 11 who, <laughs> 11 who were all in on the secret. Like that makes absolutely no sense that you'd be tortured and be willing to die for that belief. Mm-hmm. And it's not like they even got rich or they got fame from this. They were nope. cast out for it. So like the uh, the theory that the disciples stole the body from the tomb is absolutely ludicrous on its face. Here are six pieces of evidence. I'll go through them very, very quickly for the uh, fact that the tomb was empty. Um, some people say the empty tomb was a legend that uh, sprung up later in Christianity because people wanted to uh, support the idea that Jesus rose from the grave. Um, that is uh, not true at all. The empty tomb is clearly taught in the earliest Christian creed we have, which Paul cites in 1 Corinthians 15, maybe verse 31. I could be wrong in the verse, but read maybe read all of 1 Corinthians and learn a few things and yeah. see the creed on top of it. I don't know. Shameless plug for the Bible. Who's to say? But mm-hmm. anyways, 1 Corinthians first, uh, uh, 15, sorry, Paul cites one of the earliest Christian's creed 
reads we have. We won't go through the details. You can look into it for yourself if you'd like. But there is very, very strong evidence pointing to the fact that this uh, creed was written within just a few years of Jesus' resurrection, but also like not even just a few years, within a few months of his death and resurrection. That is not enough time historically for legends to spring up. That is very, very quickly. So we see that this is one of the earliest beliefs of the church. Peter's sermon at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, the uh, he cites the resurrection. That was yeah. one of the first sermons of the church. This is cornerstone to their belief. It wasn't made up later. Second, um, the... Oh, sorry. The state uh, or the the location of Jesus's tomb was known. A uh, certain known. The Jewish authorities knew where it was. The Roman authorities knew where it was. The Jewish and Roman authorities were both trying to put down the church. At any moment, they could have produced the body. Therefore, the tomb must have been empty. Three evidence suggests that Mark's Passion account was written before the year AD thirty-seven, um, and Mark reports the empty tomb as well. Um, this is very, very close to the actual event, making it much more likely to be historically reliable. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, for the tomb, the, the story of the empty tomb and the woman discovering the empty tomb that we have in the Gospels is very, very simple. They come, there's an empty tomb, tomb, sorry, and there's an angel, and that's it. Um, we don't see the moment of the resurrection. We see what happens afterwards. Yes, yeah, that, right? that, that's actually interesting. Nobody actually saw Jesus, like, crawl out. Yeah. Right? Or wake up. And, and I actually never thought about that till yeah. I was researching it. Yeah. Because it's just like, oh, he's in the tomb, the tomb's, tomb's empty, we see him alive yeah you, you don't question at least not for me yeah. i don't question that but yeah, that's important right because there's nobody there to see it so of course it's not written down but some of the apocryphal gospels which were fake gospels written hundreds of years later they include the story of jesus bursting out of the tomb right yeah but but the simplicity of the gospel accounts we have uh, again adds to their historical reliability this mm-hmm. is what we'd expect if this is what actually happened um five women were the first witnesses of the resurrection why is that important um me and quinn aren't sexists yay but people back then a lot of them were yeah um and so uh woman's uh testimony did not hold any authority in a jewish court if the disciples were fabricating a story and trying to prove it as trustworthy they would not have included women as the ones who discovered the tomb they would have had men but every single gospel account is clear that it was women who discovered the empty tomb of jesus why would the uh gospel authors include that unless it's what actually happened there's no Mm -hmm. reason to fabricate that so the fact that it's women who were the first witnesses uh, makes this an unlikely fabrication uh sixth as we mentioned the earliest jewish writings around this time that we have presuppose the historicity of the empty tomb. They don't try to say, no, the tomb was empty. Uh, they try to say that there are reasons for the empty tomb besides the resurrection. We've gone a few, we've gone few, uh, through a few of those already. They're not good theories. And so even the earliest writings who, who, that were against the church know that the tomb was empty. They don't try to say, well, no, his body's still there. They try to say, these are the reasons the tomb is empty. So everything we have points to the fact that the tomb was empty. Here's a quote from William Lane Craig. As long as the existence of God is even possible, it is possible that he acted in history by raising Jesus from the dead. Our first uh, episode in apologetics, How Do We Know God Exists, proves that God very clearly does exist. It is very possible and indeed probable that God exists. Therefore, if God is real, it makes sense that he could, if he wanted to, have raised Jesus from the dead. And all the evidence suggests that in fact, he did. But there's a third piece that we want to get into, which is, was Jesus actually seen after mm-hmm. the discovery of the empty tomb? Do you want to dive into that first a little bit? Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think, so, I mean, 
um, when we look at First Corinthians 15, the creed yeah. there, um, Paul cites that Jesus appeared to 500 people. 500. 500, that's, I mean, that's a, that's a solid number. Um, this was kind of a, an interesting number, interesting number. And if it was, Paul isn't about to just throw out a random number. Yeah. He, it was very much true and reliable. Yeah. Um, and it, it might've been more. It's probably, actually, probably not. 500, but he also cites some specific names as well, which is yeah. interesting. Yeah. I don't know. What do you, what do you Yeah, got? well, I mean, so, so again, uh, we won't get into the details here. We can, if you guys like don't believe us, but uh, there's very strong evidence pointed to the fact that this creed Paul cites in 1 Corinthians 15 uh, was formed within a few months of the resurrection, um, which means all these people, so Paul names a few people by name, and then he cites this figure of 500 people. Um, and he say, and he says, a few of them have fallen asleep, but most are still alive. He's basically saying to the people he's writing to, if you don't believe me, go ask these people. A bunch of these people are still alive. If any of those people that he named um, hadn't actually been eyewitness to those eyewitnesses, sorry, to the resurrection, they could have said it. Why would so many people lie about this? This mm-hmm. is and so so that makes this reliable eyewitness testimony, which means we have eyewitness testimony from over five hundred people. That is insane, right? Anybody, they of all the people who are still alive, if it wasn't true, they could have contested it, but they didn't. And so this, um, yeah, and so then that belief survived, which is just very, very, very powerful evidence. Um, and then we have gospel accounts of Jesus uh, appearing to the apostles and Jesus on the road to Emmaus and Jesus appearing to Paul, Um all these different things. Again, these are all claims that were written down and made when these people were still alive. If it wasn't true, somebody would have said something, mm-hmm. right? Like we can, we can believe re- religious fervor from a few people, but for people like, like, uh, like, you know, let's move on to the circumstantial evidence here, right? Because I, I think it's actually very well proven that Jesus did die, that his tomb was empty and that, yeah, there were people who saw him or at least believed they saw him. Mm-hmm. You might say maybe they hallucinated. Um, dumb theory. Oh, but Chase, what about mass hallucinations? Okay, I don't, I don't know what weird psychology thing you're reading. Five hundred people don't all hallucinate the exact same thing to such a degree that they believe it one hundred percent. That does not happen. That that is like absolutely ludicrous. Um, and Jesus appeared multiple times to people. Well, you know, you might say, well, um, these people were primed to believe uh, that he would uh, rise again and appear to them. They really wanted to see him. So maybe they just had some hallucination and because of their, they were primed to believe it, then their minds kind of latched onto that and that made it stronger. Mm-hmm. First of all, very weak hypothesis, ridiculously weak, no evidence for it whatsoever, but I will respond to it. Um, we let, like, you know, I'll give you the 500. I'll give you Peter and John and uh, all these people, but I'm going to hold on to two people who do not fit into your theory. James, the brother of Jesus, uh, read the gospels. Jesus' family, his brothers and sisters rejected him. They hated him. They were ashamed of him. They cast him out. James was not a man who was primed to believe that his brother was the Messiah, not just the Messiah, but God. He hated his brother. And yet James died a torturous death for the sake of Christ. James wrote one of uh, the gospel, uh, sorry, not one of the gospels, one of the books we have in the New Testament. James became an all-out believer in Jesus. Why? Unless his brother actually reappeared to him from the dead. Mm -hmm. Second, um, the apostle Paul, 
Um, Paul was, um, like, you know, he said himself, a Hebrew of Hebrews from the tribe of Benjamin in regards to the law flawless. He was trained by one of the great uh, Jewish minds of his day. He had a perfect career ahead of him, great life with his family, and he was the one persecuting this terrible cult called Christians. He was gaining, you could say, clout from all the people around him. And then suddenly he turned on a dime and became the most outspoken Christian of the ball. And in the end, also gave his life for Christ's sake. Why? Unless Unless he had a genuine encounter with the risen Christ and yeah. turned to him. There's no reason whatsoever for him to give up his entire life for the sake of that. You might say, well, Paul went, Paul was under a lot of stress killing all these people and he snapped and also went crazy. Read his letters. That this is that those are not the words of a crazy man. Mm-hmm. Um he was calm. He held good relationships with people. He held friendships. Um, he held a f- almost father-son dynamic with Timothy. Um he was well respected by people that, that, like people who are mentally insane don't have relationships like that with people they don't they don't have that good relationship good standing respect authority people don't um set them up as leaders right that that does mm-hmm. not fit the profile of a man who's insane listen to the words he says in the book of acts he is calm reasoned wicked smart wicked smart this is not a man whose mind has faded away this is a man whose mind has been sanctified by the living uh, risen christ Mm-hmm. So first of all, circumstantial evidence, um, the conversion of skeptics like James and Saul. Um, uh, another thing is that, yeah, we mentioned this, the disciples all died for their beliefs, uh, which is exactly what we would expect if Jesus indeed um, rise from the dead. People might say, well, Muslims die for their beliefs all the time, right? Uh, lots of religious people die for their beliefs. But what's unique about the disciples is that they were in a position to know if Jesus actually rose from the dead. Muslims today are not in a position to know concretely if the claims of Islam are right. Neither are Christians technically, right? Um, I do believe people fall into the trap of religious illusionment, right? Muslims, uh, Buddhists, um, and like and any religion you name in the world fall into this trap of believing their religion is true. What's different about Christians? Um, you could say nothing, but then you look to the disciples, these men who uh, were said they claim to be eyewitnesses to Christ. Um, if they weren't, there's no reason to die, Right. But if they were, then they had every reason to die. Uh, here's a quote from Lee Strobel. Um, people will die for their religious beliefs if they sincerely believe they're true. But people won't die for their religious beliefs if they know their beliefs are false. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's the position of the disciples. Um, three, uh, there were changes to key social structures. The Jews, um, we, we're running out of time. Um, but Jewish culture, the reason it alone of all ancient cultures has survived to this day, I shouldn't say all, um, the like majority of uh, ancient cultures has survived to this day is because they held so strongly to their society and their culture. Uh, their um, institutions were like life or death to them, right? The sacrificial system, especially, that was how they remained right with God. If they got the sacrificial system wrong, they're going to hell. That's what they believed. And yet tens of thousands of Jews in the first century began giving up. Up the sacrificial system. Yeah. Why, if not that, if if they hadn't had a genuine encounter with the risen Christ, this in and of itself doesn't prove Christ rose, but is it is what we would expect to happen if he did. Fourth, uh, the sacraments of communion and baptism. What's special about these? Um, if and Lee Strobel again, he uses this example in his book, The Case of Christ. If you had a people who wanted to start a um, you maybe an appreciative club of um. Oh, why can't I remember the president's name? The one who was assassinated. 
John F. Kennedy. John F. Kennedy. Thank you. Um, as if there weren't a bunch who were assassinated. Yeah, Abraham I was about Lincoln. to say I had a couple uh, to choose no, Kennedy. Thank you, Kennedy. Um, you 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 might get you might expect him to get together to celebrate his achievements, the things he did as president. You wouldn't get together to celebrate the fact that he'd been murdered by Lee Harvey Oswald, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that is exactly what communion and baptism are. Communion is celebrating the death of Christ. Baptism is this representation of the death of Christ. Why would um, the church focus so intently on you could say the shameful aspects of Jesus' ministry unless they genuinely believe that these things were their cornerstone of their faith. Mm -hmm. Again, doesn't in and of itself prove the resurrection, but if the resurrection is true, this is what you'd expect to happen. Five, the wild emergence of the church. The church grew so rapidly through the first century, and it has been growing rapidly ever since. Um, You might say other religious movements have grown quickly too, from Mormonism to um, Islam, and that's true. Again, this doesn't in and of itself prove the resurrection, but if the resurrection happened, you would expect the church to grow wildly. Six, finally, piece of circumstantial evidence, um, the personal encounters of Jesus Christ people have around the world to this day. Mm -hmm. Muslims in droves are being converted to Christianity because they have dreams of Jesus appearing to them, telling them to come to him. That's wild, right? Mm -hmm. And again, that in and of itself doesn't prove anything. Anybody can have a dream. But if Jesus is real, if he did rise again, if he is seated at the right hand of the Father, you would expect him to still interact with people. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is what we find. So, those six pieces of circumstantial evidence, we touched on very, very briefly, um, but they all are exactly the things we would expect if this is true. Um, on top of the evidence of Jesus' death, on top of the evidence of the uh, risen, uh, sorry, of the empty tomb, and on top of the evidence of um, the eyewitnesses um, seeing him after his death, plus all this circumstantial evidence, man, what hypothesis can you come up with that fits all these historical facts? I I think we were talking about this earlier, Quinn. Mm -hmm. This is a scientific problem, not a matter of blind faith. These are concrete historical facts. And like any, if if you are thinking seriously about this, if you're intellectually honest, you need to come up with a theory that fits every single one of these facts as good as a theory that Jesus died and rose again. Mm -hmm. I dare you to. Tell me if you can, tell us if you can, because I can't think of it. Nobody has ever been able to think of it. Tell me if you can. Um, but a, a theory that fits all of these facts, that stands up to scrutiny the way the resurrection does. The only people, the only reason people don't want to believe in the resurrection is because it's supernatural. Mm-hmm. But that is such, that that is a presupposition that supernatural things aren't real. Go back, listen to our episode, How Do We Know God Exists? The supernatural is self-evidently real. We've covered that very, very easily. Mm-hmm. And so like William Lane Craig said, if it's possible that God exists, it is possible that he rose, that he um, brought Jesus Christ back from the dead, that Jesus Christ himself is God. Um so I like the weight of the evidence is staggering to me. Yeah. Um, and if Jesus Christ is and was God, and like we said at the beginning, the Old Testament is the word of God. The New Testament is the word of God. And that should radically change your life. Mm-hmm. To recap, Quinn, um, how do we know the Bible's reliable? How do we know the Bible's the word of God? Um, we can see that the Bible we have, uh, you know, we can see the Bible that we have has been reliably um preserved for us. Uh, So we know that we have what was written. Okay. How do we know it's actually the word of God? That hinges on Jesus. Was Jesus truly 
God. Um, and Jesus being truly God hinges on his resurrection. So we go through the resurrection, the gospels, they are historically, historically, sorry, reliable on uh, the way we find them. Okay. Then we turn to the resurrection account specifically. What did Jesus die? Yes. Was his tomb empty on that Sunday? Yes. Was he seen afterwards by a multitude of people? Yes. Did things then unfold as we would expect them to if Jesus truly rose from the dead? Yes. What do we conclude? What was, what are we to conclude except that Jesus rose from the dead? Okay, Jesus rose from the dead. Okay, Jesus is God. Okay, the Old Testament and the New Testament are the very words of God. And 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 those words are what we would expect God to write mm -hmm. if he had written them. That yeah. should change our lives. We need to go through the Bible with a fine-toothed comb. We need to delight in it. We need to study it. It needs to saturate our lives until it it like flows out of us. It it should be become everything for us. You want to hear from God. I mean, you know, go to the Bible. Like that is his word. That is his authority in our lives. Mm -hmm. that, how, that is how he speaks to us. He says the word of God is living, sharper than any two-edged sword. Um, he pierces our souls. It changes and transforms us. It is so beautiful. And I mean, if, you, if you're feeling stuck, if you're like, you know, I believe in God, but I don't know what to do. If if you are encountering Jesus in the gospel for the first time, or you need to encounter God in a fresh way, go to his word. Mm -hmm. These are the words of God and they will change you in radical, radical ways. Go. We have an episode out on how to study your Bible. If, if you are like inclined to read your Bible at all and you don't know where to start, you don't know what to do, go listen to that. Um, and we point you to other resources to help you. It, it is just, yeah, there, there's nothing you will so thank yourself that you did as to daily read God's very words to you. Mm -hmm. Anything else you want to add just to wrap us up? Dude, I think you killed it. <laughs> Sweet. You too, dude. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. Uh, so next week, we're going to be coming out with an episode on spiritual disciplines that you are probably neglecting and why you should start practicing them. We got some good stuff planned. I'm actually very, very excited yeah, for that. Yeah, I'm super um, stoked. And then we got, we got a book review coming up on uh, confronting Christianity by, by Rebecca, uh, well, Rebecca McLaughlin. Sorry. Uh, Rebecca McLaughlin. Uh, Rebecca McLaughlin. Uh, we cited her book um, uh, pretty extensively in our episode on uh, how do we know God exists, um, her book, Confronting no, Christianity. Suffering. Uh, oh, sorry, Suffering. Yeah, sorry, Suffering. Thanks, Gwen. Uh, suffering. Her book, Confronting Christianity, Answering the 12 Hardest Objections for the World's Largest Religion. Phenomenal. Uh, we're going to be coming out with a uh, review and our thoughts on that book uh, in the next uh, few weeks here, um, probably two weeks, um, I think. <laughs> I don't have the schedule in front of me. Anyways, if you guys want to like really be in on that conversation, I'd totally recommend pick up a, um, a copy of that book. It, it is fantastic. It will change your life and the way you view these different difficult subjects and how you evangelize to other people. Um, but if also, if you just want to hear our recap of the book and decide if it's worth buying or just hear our thoughts on some of those questions, you can tune into that and that'll be good. Um, man, if you're listening on Spotify or Apple, John, consider uh, leaving us a review, following us. Uh, every little thing helps. Um, go follow us on Instagram and man, we'll see you guys later. Yeah. See ya. Peace out. <laughs>